Stereo. Inspiration. Hey everybody, this is Unchained Inspiration. I'm your host, Reese Seven. Today's link in the chain is titled, How to Get Out of Dodge. Today in studio is my longtime friend, Chris Lytle. I, I love sitting down with him. We have so much to talk about. We love reminiscing about old 80s wrestling, and then we just like to connect and see what's going on with each other now, and, and kind of our views on where the world's at. And what I like about Chris is, I'm right now in this transition thing that I'm trying to understand marketing and sales and all of that end of things. And Chris is one of the most natural salesmen I know. As When we met in high school, he was the guy that wanted to have his own business right from the hop. And I'm now years, decades later, uh, kind of entering into that same realm. And I think this is the perfect opportunity as an artist to sit down with someone with a whole drive for sales to kind of give me some feedback. So, Chris, welcome to studio. How are you doing? Well, I'm always so thankful when people come to studio because it's really a fun time here. And what I'm just wanting to showcase is how far I've come in this whole realm of podcasting and my development as an artist and see kind of what your thoughts are on how I should start kind of like pitching it. Well, I've, uh, over the years, I've, I've seen what you're capable, capable of uh, on uh, the artist side of things with your drawings and your paintings and some of the stuff that I've seen, some of the best artistry that I've ever seen. Um, I attended your show. I think what you're, what you're doing is great. And I think over, over the years, you've really progressed um, to the point where, you know, I could see some of this becoming mainstream for you. That'd be awesome. And I, I really appreciate the kind words you're saying. I, like anyone that, if, if I had cameras up, everyone would see that I'm slightly a red color now. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I feel like I put you on the spot there. And I know that, so that kind of is my rattling the chain at the end of the episode that I ask is kind of how I extend that collaboration piece. And I happen to throw it on you right off the hop. But what I really want to kind of unpack and revisit is before we got recording I said that I really enjoy listening to my guests some of their stories and I don't always want to keep asking them oh can you tell me the time when and have them like tell me a story like once upon a time or all of that that it's really important that I kind of capture some of these stories now the two of us have like been really quite interesting friends we have, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it started in high school with our passion for professional wrestling, of all things. And that only came about because we ended up in the same biology class together. <laughs> and I was a year, I was a grade below you. Yeah. And somehow we ended up in the same class. I'm not sure how that happened or if that's just how it was. But um, yeah, you. I think you were sitting behind me. Yeah, it, that's exactly it. And I I just remember you turning around to me and saying, I understand that you like professional wrestling. Yeah, and I think, if I remember, I think we decided together that the best video game at the time was WrestleMania Challenge. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. Like, what? that's incredible, the original NES game. Yeah, with the diagonal-sided ring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Back when times were simple, hey? Like... 
we and we were just reminiscing about where wrestling has gone and how uh, what used to be a full calendar year of storytelling is now basically a month. Oh yeah, and you're lucky if you get a month long story out of it. Yeah, it's things have changed so much. Uh, we're we're in an era where transparency is everywhere. I know that's something that I'm trying to really work with in studio here is allowing that transparent transparent process to kind of evolve with with witnessing and documenting. So technology is mm-hmm. really helping me there. And having these conversations is fantastic. And I recognize that this type of media is here to stay. Oh, definitely. I mean, and it's only going to become more and more the norm as we go forward. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to think that 20 years ago that we would be sitting here doing this to yeah. document old stories. Otherwise, we just put our own spin on things and, and that's the way it was. <laughs> hmm. Well, I, now I'm starting to second guess this whole process, Chris, because I'm starting to think, I, I always said that Google was the conversation killer because everyone wants to go and Google fact-checked everything and it kind of takes away from the art of the conversation. Oh, it does. And it, this is this is nice to be able to do it this way where we're talking face-to-face Yeah, and, and acknowledging the other person in in a room setting well and and like we we have phones here but they're off in a way there's no computers here no and i i want it to just be that organic natural conversation all the time with whoever i'm visiting with because it's just it's exciting to hear authentic conversation yeah it's so easy to text and and i hate texting I, i i do it out of necessity but i I would rather much pick up the phone or knock on somebody's door and and just visit. I feel like a lot of people deep down inside feel that way, but we've gotten this weird condition. I don't know how you're doing it, but before I phone, I text and ask, do you have five minutes for a phone call? Like I'm not having to ask permission. Like what did we do 20 years ago when you just dialed? Like, yeah, if, if you were busy, the phone rang six, seven times and he said, well, I guess he's not home. <laughs> or doesn't want to talk or to doesn't me. want to talk to me well i remember do you remember the first time that you got caller id oh that was great <laughs> <laughs> that's when that's when you learned how to how to uh block people that's, that's well i remember sitting in your living room and your folks were there and your phone would ring and it would always ring while we were trying to watch wrestling whether it was a pay-per-view or uh monday night raw and it would always ring and your mom would always kind of lean over and be like telemarketer don't answer it <laughs> yeah yeah my dad was bad for that he he didn't care who was on the other line <laughs> he didn't want to hear from them <laughs> so why did he bother turning the ringer on then well my dad was an interesting person as as, as you're aware yeah um <laughs> he he didn't he didn't like people in general <laughs> put it that way but uh and yet he was in business yes he was in business and i i think towards yeah we we bought a gas station which you you well that's what i yeah that's when i came into your life yeah not long after we we became good friends uh i i secured you a job there and and we had we had a blast doing that yeah well (laughs) filling cars up with gas washing windshields and the worst part of that job for me was when you would take me to the gym and you (laughs) when i when we thought we'd become wrestlers or bodybuilders yeah and you knew what you were doing i didn't and i remember the first grueling workout 
on the chest that you gave me. <laughs> oh. I don't even know how I managed to move for days after. I, I think I was asking you to wash windows, windshields yeah. for me because I couldn't lift my arm. Well, I got payback later uh, when I went and started throwing shot put for the U of L, and those workouts were so brutal. I remember having to get people to open the door for me because my arms and my legs couldn't ha hack it because it was just so intense. <laughs> and now it's interesting because I, me being part of the recreation world, I have the privilege of talking to some amazing trainers and now the whole mentality of good physical conditioning is the exact opposite. You never should be getting to that point where you can't lift your arm or do whatever. You, you've gone way beyond where you should be. Oh, absolutely. Not, not, not the, okay, we need 10 more reps of 50-pound butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> Rip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how we didn't blacken and blue our, our chests yeah. and shoulders in those days. Well, but it was like the growth. I, I remember going away uh, to school and coming back and a lot of my friends said like they were questioning what I was doing because I was gaining so much size and yeah. so much strength that they couldn't figure it out. And it was just like I was eating six meals a day and I was having these crazy three, four hour workouts. It, it, was, it was your whole life. Oh, and I, I, yeah. Absolutely. I remember you doing that. Yeah. And I liked doing it at that time. And I remember it, it all kind of changed in 99 when Owen died. Yeah. It was, that was the moment that it was like, like, because we, we were so focused on like the art of wrestling. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that happened and it really just put such a distaste in my mouth that I never got back from it. No, you didn't. I, I know, I, I know over the years we, you try, we, we tried, but it just wasn't the same. And yeah. then gradually over the years, we, we grew up and, and had other <laughs> things to do besides uh, focus on wrestling. And, and, uh, well, it, I remember my parents talking about it where they were like really concerned that that was an avenue that I was exploring. And at the time I didn't get it because like, for me, it was the art of storytelling. It was I, I'm, I was always fascinated with how creative some of them were on that level. And then there was the athletic part of it. And some of the stories were just pure garbage. But there were the odd storyline that really just spoke to human nature that I really loved. And then the fact that you were, you were doing it live time in front of an audience in the round was really remarkable. And then you're paid to travel around the world. Absolutely. It what what was better than the thought of getting paid to do something that was going to be so easy, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then now like fast forward three decades later, well, two decades, two and a half decades later, and we're looking at all these people that we grew up really kind of, I wouldn't say idolizing, but really like looked up to yeah. as role models and everything. And the, the health complications, if they're still around are, incredible and most of them aren't even around anymore no they they broke their bodies to entertain yeah and it, it, it truly is an art form when you when you look at it i don't care what anybody says it's fake it's how how can you watch that well it's no different than watching any other tv or programming or, or movie you know that what they're you, you know that um jean-claude van damme isn't isn't this uh this guy that 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 kicks butt 24 7 or uh, manages to be on the run from from some gang 
What? <laughs> what? It's true. No. It's true. <laughs> you didn't know that? No. You... Another dream shattered. Did you hear that? <laughs> Isn't it incredible that, that you, you can go days without hearing about these incredible uh, car chases and and bombings and, and things going on that, that only happen in those movies? Well, you know, that's, a, that's the part that I've always been fascinated about with like the, the bad action movies of the 90s was you would have these like ridiculous bombing sequences and these outrageous car chases yet it was like no ambulances that would show up there would be like no acknowledgement of really anything because it was so caught up in the moment of kind of feeding you visual candy absolutely and then at the end of the movie the protagonist and antagonist always end up in some uh shipyard and at in the middle of the night it's raining really hard yeah of course <laughs> they, they forget to check their their apps i think oh right they didn't have it back then they should have checked the weather network <laughs> yeah and they have that one that one last drawn out fight sequence could you imagine if we do an action film all of a sudden just to switch it up we should have it a nice sunny day in like a calm park where they they meet up <laughs> <laughs> with kids watching us wondering what's going on well, the other day I was uh, talking to my cousin and we were laughing at the fact that everything now was being referred to as parental unit one, parental unit two, parental unit two separated by one uh, for grandparents. It's like... <laughs> well, don't... Yeah, I, I we could spend a whole podcast talking about the, um, the craziness of our society. Which... Simple times, we're missing them. Oh, man. We're, we are the last generation, uh, I believe, that grew up with some sort of normalcy. Everything is completely regulated now. You can't say or do anything without offending somebody. I'm very much about including everyone. So like, sure. like uh, the, the fundamental of that whole idea, I'm on board with. But the, the part that I really struggle with is... We don't want to offend certain populations. And I agree with that. We don't want to. We don't know. We, we want to try minimize all of that. But by doing what we're doing, we're putting just as many people out in the opposite way. So I, it, it, and I know it's changed. And I know a lot of this stuff is just going to be generational. We're like, like you have a couple of daughters that this won't bother them nearly as much as it bothers us because we're part, we're consciously collectively part of the change right now right where they're just going to realize that that's their every day mm -hmm. and then their children won't even think about it no my concern though is that we are pandering to certain groups a little too a little too much and a little too heavily where you i i think people are there, there's there's guys such as yourself and myself where I think we're getting to a point where you almost have to, a, a lot of people are feeling ashamed just to be who they are yeah. because we grew up a certain way. But if, if you feel a certain way or you don't say the right thing, the politically correct thing to say or do, well, you're in the wrong automatically. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because it's oftentimes the people that genuinely have empathy and care about these other groups and I know I'm that way yeah. where I get <clears throat> tongue tied and I don't know what to say. And then I get awkward and it's not because I'm put out or awkward about who I'm around. Right. It's just, I don't want to say anything 
And, and I know when I worked up in Calgary, uh, I worked with a lot of uh, different ethnicities and they don't have that same level of being tongue-tied. They, they speak their mind and they just let it go. But as a white Caucasian male you, uh, that cares, you're just like, I'm not going to say anything. Exactly. Because you know you're going to be judged on what you say. Yeah. And, or not say. Or not say, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, it's such a mess and it's so unfortunate. Anyway, uh, I, we kind of went down a bit of a rabbit hole. What I wanted to do is. This is what uh, we do. I know. I wanted to have this beautiful segue from us talking about wrestling being this opportunity to travel the world to kind of make this nice little bridge into the fact that the two of us were able to go and live in different parts of the world and kind of pursue some dreams. Now, now anyone that's wanting to know the ending while well, we're sitting here in medicine hat together, so we're not international anymore. So we could probably put two and two together, but it was very interesting. And I, I'll never forget uh, coming over to your guys's condo and letting you know that I was moving to the Czech Republic. And the alarm bells were going off on you. Uh, oh, yeah. And you were like, oh, d- don't do it. I I was just so s- naive and and blindsided by my situation. Yeah, you had your reasons. Um, and I'm glad that you did it. Um, I'm I, glad, too. I don't regret it for a second. So No, and you shouldn't. Um, and I'll, I can touch on my experience, too. Uh, but... At the time, yes, that that was really scary as as being a good friend of yours mm-hmm. to see you all of a sudden saying, "Hey, I'm I'm traveling halfway around the world. I don't know if or when I'll be back." Well, for so for me, and this is the part of the conversation that I'm most interested in, is why did we do it? We have to experience life. Well, we have to experience life, but for me, where I was coming from at that point is I was so unfulfilled and so not finding happiness here that I just needed to go out and I need to, and then all of a sudden I had this opportunity where I met someone that it was like, yes, this, this seems right and things are better. And then, uh, when you start looking at like opportunities and everything, it's, I've got to give it a shot. Yeah. It, it was great. Like I got to learn so much. I got to see a whole different perspective. It's still one of my favorite places in the entire world. Yeah. Oftentimes I'm still asked if, if there was a place I'd ever consider moving to in the world, the Czech Republic is within the top three still. Yeah. It was just a really nice experience. Unfortunately, it didn't go the way I had anticipated. And I can only feel that you had to have been in a similar spot mentally when you decided to go and uh, where I don't even remember where you went to exactly. I went to Roatan, Honduras. Right. And I feel like you had to have been in a similar state than I was when I left. Oh yeah. It it was building up for years. And to this day, I I really obviously wish it would have panned out. Mm -hmm. Well, who wouldn't? (laughs) Yeah. I saw, um, yeah, so my, my parents had, had their business. What kind of inspired me to do my own thing and, and try to better myself because, uh, well, you know, I, I didn't grow up 
having a whole pile of anything. Well, I feel like at this point, I need to let the listeners know that like when we met, we were in high school yeah. and you had just turned 16 Yeah, and you were running the gas station. Right. So yeah, getting to that, um, my, like I said, my, my dad, my dad had good intention, but he, he was very much a selfish man and he, he and my mom bought bought this business they they pulled all of their money out of out of the house to buy this business and at first it was really good um there was lots of enthusiasm my dad was into it but over time his old habits started creeping in Mm. he he started um mismanaging the money he wasn't interested in showing up to work which meant my mom had to go in my brother was too young and immature so that left me Right, and if I didn't take the the key and go open up the store at seven in the morning, yeah. or go close it at eleven at night, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So, I ended up, I and I I missed school, I I missed school out because of it. Um, I I squandered uh, grants from from the college because my marks fell. It wasn't something as a sixteen year old that I wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. But I knew right then and there that this is what I was going to do and what I should be doing. And if it wasn't for certain circumstances in regards to how the the business failed, if I could have had a couple more years under my belt and and gotten out of high school, I probably would have done everything in my power to take over my parents' business and make it work because it, it was a business that did work. I remember you saying that that was your dream was to own a service station. Yeah. You were in love with it. I was. I, I enjoyed doing it. it. And it was, it wasn't hard work. We, we had a blast doing it. Yeah. It was, it was my favorite. When I had to come back from university and needed a job for my off time, it was my favorite place to be. And yeah. I, every time I would just even have time off, you, your station was always on route to wherever I was going yep. and I'd always pull in. And you, it would be dead. The moment I'd show up, there'd be five cars that show up and we're all pumping gas. <laughs> and then I'm like, I got to go. And then... Yeah. <laughs> then back to the mundane. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, so I, I uh, that's when I knew I wanted to run a business, uh, which ultimately led to me getting a job in... I got a job in sales. So I, I sold furniture for a number of years. Um, and then I had an opportunity to travel on the road a little bit as a wine rep, which really helped me figure out that I don't want to be settled in Medicine Hat, which Mm -hmm. is where we are now. (laughs) What goes around comes around. Well, I can't help but think that we attempted, uh, we, we attempted, uh, plan a didn't go according to plan that we wanted. We've revamped it and we're setting up plan B and C. Yes, absolutely. And that's, it's always in the back of my mind. But uh, my wife at the time, she found an ad in in one of the local newspapers and said, hey, there's a, uh, there's a, a lottery stand that right. this company yep. is looking to start up. Would you be interested? Here's the, here's the buy-in. We, we have the money to do it. And so I beat out two or three other parties into taking on this lotto stand and I did really well with it. Um, I worked my first hundred days straight up by myself, open to close. 
And then I was able to finally hire somebody. And I had that for four years and I sold the business and did made a little bit of money. There was, there was a lot of uh, screwiness going around there. Well, unfortunately, it seems like that organization that you were kind of tied to yeah. uh, has a bit of a reputation there. Oh, yeah. They're, I don't even think they're in business in Western Canada any longer. Okay. I think they're strictly down east now because I don't think they knew how to open. Well, I don't think they knew how to franchise out their business. Um, and we're, the West and like especially like Southern Alberta, it's like it's very geographically different but it's also culturally so different. Well, it is. Yeah, there's there's that. Um, and me being the business owner, I knew what I was doing for, for sales, revenue, profit margins, all that. When you're selling lottery tickets, you were held to a certain margin because you were an agent of the government. And you're only allowed to make five cents on the dollar. Okay. You have to sell a lot of lottery tickets yeah, to no make kidding. the business profitable, to pay yourself and to pay the bills. So you always, they always say you should pay yourself before anything else, but that's a lot easier said than done as a business owner. Right. You automatically pay your bills first. It's just like regular life. You pay your bills so that you can carry on to the next month. Mm -hmm. If there's anything left over, you pay yourself. So a lot of months I just didn't collect a, a paycheck or if I did it was very minimal so how did you survive well my my wife at the time was working full-time so we relied heavily on on her wage yeah and we weren't in a we were in a small condo um, so that it was affordable for us to live we I didn't have a family at the time um, we you know we had two used cars that were bought and paid for so we didn't have car payments we we lived very meagerly <laughs> Uh, for a little while there that itself brought some challenges in my personal life which I'm pretty sure you remember having me having some issues that but th that's another day another story yeah no, I, I, I'm so captivated by this whole process of you going through business because this is the part that I'm really struggling with myself on how to get comfortable and I'm and I have to give myself grace to understand that you don't come out of the shoot perfect no and it's, I don't know if it's just the way it is, but nine, nine times out of 10, a person is going to fail before they succeed. And if it, I, especially now, cause I've been out of business for basically seven, seven years now, um, you, you learn to appreciate what you had and what you have currently. And you realize that it's okay to have failed. Now, I had that business, I sold it, I, I made a little bit of money on it, um, and I, what I did, because, and I built this up for this idea for a good two years before, I, I spent all of my time figuring out how to get out of Dodge, and I, I decided I'm going to live the, the dream and own a bar in the tropics. So I found a place in Roatan, Honduras that was up for sale. And I got in contact with a real estate agent who happened to be from BC, but living in Roatan. So that was really good. He understood where, who, basically me being a Western Canadian looking to buy up this bar in the middle of nowhere, unannounced. He, he said, come on down and uh, come check out the island and see what you think. 
so I bought a plane ticket and I just had my first daughter. Like right. we just yeah. had her, Tina and I just had our first daughter. And I don't even think Chloe was a, more than two weeks old. And I'm on a flight down to Roatan, Honduras to check out this bar to see if it's what I want to do. Well, Roatan's an awesome, beautiful island. Like it's it's just like you would imagine any anywhere in the Caribbean to be. It's not a it's not a rich island. It's it's the people who live there are poor, just like probably most other Caribbean islands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they rely but, heavily on tourism. Yeah, but my experience in those three days was wonderful. I I met the uh, then owners of the bar who were looking to sell. I was presented with. Uh, with the book work and and I got a, a reasonably good idea of what to expect. Cruise ship season is when you're going to make your money. Um, when you're not in cruise ship season, that's where you better save some money up to get through the next four to six months. Mm-hmm. So I ended up buying this bar and I went down there with a big smile on my face. Well, unfortunately within four weeks of me landing there, I was, the customers that were coming in, you'd, you'd have the, the conversations about how did you get into this? It's great. It's great. That's where my salesmanship had to come in. Cause I realized I wasn't going to make a, a go of this place. I, I don't think I, I could be wrong, but I don't think the numbers that I was presented were really what they were. Right. I, I, I would assume they've been, the books were cooked there. Books were cooked. So I I had taken all of my money as a down payment and gave it to the the, peop, the the group that I bought this bar off of. I still owed them almost half more. Wow. But I could barely afford to pay the monthly rent for the bar. And this is in the middle of high season, cruise ship season. Oh, brutal. So I started trying, I was finding anybody who had listened to me trying to pump up this bar and yeah I'll, I'll admit I I made up stories to try to get out of it I I told people that I needed to get home that I, I had a sick family member um, I just bought it it's great I'll sell it to you at a discount because I knew that I wasn't going to get my money back out of it I just about sold it to a, a guy from Texas I honestly thought he was going to buy it he 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 became enamored with what I was telling him and fortunately, the night he, he showed up, the place was just rocking. It, it, it was a weekend, and all the locals had, had uh, come in off the ferry from the mainland, and my place was just packed. So I was able to show him, look how great this is. Yeah. You can live this night after night. I knew already knew it wasn't going to be like that, but I'm trying to look out for myself. To make a long story short, before my third month there, I had about three or four days before my rent was due and I knew that I had nothing left. I had about a thousand dollars to my name and I had racked up my credit card and I had my inventory. So I went to a neighboring bar and I said, I'm out. Do you want to buy my inventory? And we, we did an overnight job. I had, a, I made a couple of really good friends on the Island that I still talk with to this day. And, uh, they, I had I had a, a partner down there. Um, he knew it wasn't going to work, but he didn't want to admit to it. So I I phoned up my friend. I said, "Okay, here's the deal. 
after we close, my partner's not going to be there. You grab your your gang of people. Yeah. Clean off my shelves. Take all my take all my liquor to to the neighbor bar. And uh, they did that. And the next the next morning, I left uh, I left an envelope with enough money for my my partner to have have a couple meals and get a flight home. And I met the uh, the the other bar owner. He he gave me the money for for the liquor. And I flew. I, I was on a flight the next day back to Houston, which connected to Calgary. And my brother picked me up and. <laughs> He'd never seen me so so tan in my life. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that just seems like that would make quite the interesting little movie. Well, it probably would. Um, I had, yeah, it would. I was scared. I, I was scared because the people of Honduras, Honduras. Okay, so I'm going to interrupt you right now. So one thing I've learned about uh, salesmanship and everything is keep everyone baited. What I'm suggesting is let's wrap this podcast up for over our 30 minute mark okay and let's have you back next week to finish off this story okay okay sounds like a plan all right everyone this has been how to get out of dodge with my friend chris until next time everyone this is reese seven signing out Jennings. Stand by.